Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. So Karen and I were sitting on our front deck recently, enjoying one of those evenings where it's been like 85, 90 degrees, but then it kind of cools off after 9, 9.30, and it just feels wonderful to sit out there. The wind calms down, the birds are quieting down, and all is still, right? Like, those are just amazing evenings that we get to experience here in North Dakota. And it was funny, we, we were just talking and visiting and, and just wondering about life and things like that, and we ended up talking about friendships. We talked about how we're so thankful for the friendships that we have here in Kandu, and we're thankful for the friendships that we have and the people that we miss from Manitoba. We're also thankful for the friendships that our kids have. It's just kind of the way the conversation went. As we talked about these things, we kind of came to a natural pause for just a moment. And then I wondered out loud, I, I said to Karen, do you, do you think that Jesus had friends? I mean, I know that he had disciples and people that he was ministering to and all this kind of thing, but... Did Jesus have legitimate friends? And, and it was kind of funny because we, we, we could recollect a few passages where Jesus talks about friends or friendship and things like that. But I hadn't stopped thinking about it. So this morning, I just want to kind of, for my own sake and for ours, I want to bring this topic to a little bit more of, a, of the front burner. And I want to talk about or I want to look at a few passages where Jesus uses the word friend, or he uses it, or, or someone uses it about him. And I, I hope that at the end of the service here, that we're just going to have a better understanding of what friendship with Jesus means, but more importantly, how we fit into what friendship with Jesus is supposed to look like. So let me, let me just pause to pray one more time, and then we're going to look at a few passages together. Father God, this is, this is your church and this is your word that we're looking at. So we pray that your message would come through loud and clear. Speak to us now about friendship and cause our hearts to receive what you have to say. Amen. Okay, so the first, first verse I'm going to look at this morning is from Luke 7 verse 34. I'll read that verse and then we'll, we'll chat about it here for just a moment. There we go. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's kind of an interesting verse to start with, right? In this verse, Jesus is, is addressing an accusation that is made against him. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were critical of who Jesus spent time with. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, had no problem sharing a meal with the most despised members of society. On the other hand, the super-religious people at the time, who were called the Pharisees and also the experts of Jewish law, they would never be caught dead eating with someone who they considered less than them or from a lower class. The quick lesson that we can learn in this verse is that Jesus didn't and doesn't despise sinners at all. A lot of people think that Jesus hates sinners because they don't have an understanding of the heart that Jesus has. But truly, actually, Jesus befriends Sinners. He befriends people who are typically despised, and we have all these reasons for thinking less of them, right? So it's interesting, by calling Jesus the friend of tax collectors and sinners, what exactly are the religious leaders accusing Jesus of? Well, we need to figure out what the word friend means. 
The word friend from this verse that we see on the screen here, it's, there's Greek words for things. And sometimes we need to go back to the original language just to understand truly what we're reading. Because sometimes in English we have one word, where in Greek they may have two or three words for something. So the, the word friend here in Greek is the word philos. Okay? And, and really what that means is, philos is the kind of friendship that is shown through love, through considering someone dear or precious to you, and placing value on them. So the religious leaders, they actually were 100% right, even though they thought that they were accusing Jesus of something bad. They were telling everyone about how wonderful Jesus was. Jesus did all these things. He loved people. He was precious, or he held them as precious or dear in his heart. And he considered them valuable, even though many others didn't. You know, something we're seeing here in, in this verse is that Jesus doesn't let reputation get in the way of friendship. Likely most people back then didn't want to associate with tax collectors and sinners because it would mean that they themselves would be looked down upon simply because they associated with someone who was kind of running along the bottom edge of society. And unfortunately, some people have similar attitudes today. But Jesus, whether he was living back then or if he was walking the streets of Kandu right now, he doesn't see social status or reputation, or class, or popularity. He just sees people. And he loves them. And he makes a place for them in his life. Jesus willingly inserted himself into their world through being their friend. Perhaps Jesus' friendship was even more powerful considering that these people were so beat down at this point in their life that they didn't expect friendship from anyone let alone this miracle man who had a reputation of doing great things for God. Perhaps they thought because they had been so despised in their life that if these regular folks who can't do these miracles, who don't have this kind of love in their life, if they don't have any love for me, why would this great man Jesus have love for me? But he did. And that's what made it so profound, right? We've seen Jesus' willingness to initiate a loving friendship with one of the lowliest groups of the day. And then, it's interesting, when you read a little later on in Luke, uh, 15 verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. See, Jesus loved these people enough to extend friendship towards them, and then because of that friendship, he earned the opportunity to speak into their lives about God and the kingdom of heaven and all the wonderful things that Jesus wanted these people to experience. You know, we have, uh, we have someone who's lived a life very similar to this here in our congregation, Doris. You shared a little bit this morning about, um, about Leon and how you're glad to see him. You used to work with your husband, Bill, when he was alive, when you guys were pastoring together. You used to work with all sorts of men who came from the bottom edges of society, men who were lost in alcohol and, and drug abuse and, and domestic abuse and all sorts of things, right? And Doris and her husband, Bill, they actually opened up homes specifically to invite these men in so that they could help them get clean from drugs and alcohol, so that they could help them know how to function as a, a productive member of society. And the most important thing was they, they invited them in through friendship and then they told them about Jesus. They connected these people with Jesus and that's what made the greatest difference in their lives. So Jesus extends friendship to us by not looking at our situation, but rather looking at 
the people that he made and loves and he extends that to us and then he ministers to us and, and Doris, you and your husband Bill, you, you followed Jesus' example and you did the same thing. You told me a story about a, a man specifically named Eddie. Eddie was an alcoholic and, and he was addicted to heroin. And, uh, but when, when you knew Eddie as a, as a kid, you, you, or you knew, knew him already, you were about 11 years old, you told me, and you knew Eddie when he was in high school. Even back then... Eddie and some of his friends, they were getting ready to take a joyride in a vehicle and they were going to be smoking weed and doing their thing. And Doris, you told me that you saw them at 11 years old. You marched up to them. You said, I'm going with you. Not because Doris wanted to get high, but she, she figured if she st- sticks with these guys, maybe she can keep them on the straight and narrow, right? So I love that. Your heart has obviously been there. Jesus has done that for you, right? So over the years, they lost contact with Eddie, but then they connected with him again. And all of a sudden... They, they realized that Eddie was now in even deeper trouble. The alcohol and the heroin had come in. It wasn't just marijuana anymore. And, and Bill and Doris, they, they saw him and they, they thought about him and then they lost connection again. And over a few months, they saw him a few different times. And finally, Eddie saw them again and he told them that his mom had passed away. And Bill and Doris had a choice to make. It's like, well, you know, we have these homes. There's a lot of men already that they're caring for. But they said, Eddie, why don't you come and live with us? Why don't you come and live in our lives? Be a part of what's going on with us. We want you to come. And it wasn't smooth sailing. I mean, getting off of drugs and alcohol is a tough deal, right? But, but Bill and Doris, they loved Eddie. They cared about him. They made him a friend. And over time, Eddie not only got clean from drugs and alcohol, but he gave his life to the Lord. And Eddie moved on into a place in his life where he then was operating one of the homes for Bill and Doris and helping out other men who were in the same place that he used to be. It's amazing to see what happens when friendship is extended to anyone and everyone, and we use that as an opportunity to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. So I just, I just love this passage about how it's an accusation. The Pharisees think they're nailing Jesus for doing something bad, but really it's the wonderful thing that we all need to receive, right? In another passage I want to look at, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that the time of his crucifixion, his death, is only hours away, and he knows that he's about to be betrayed. So I want to read a passage here from Matthew 26, 47 to 50. Judas, one of the twelve disciples, those are Jesus' twelve closest followers, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them... You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. So this has to be one of the tough, toughest, most worst feelings that Jesus has ever experienced in his life, right? He's betrayed into the hands of the Pharisees by one of his own followers. Yet, Jesus calls Judas friend here. So it's a bit of a puzzling passage. What's going on? Does Jesus actually consider Judas a friend? Is he calling him, I love you, I care about you, I'm placing value on you? Is it the same as what we read in this Luke passage? Well, let's look at what this word friend means here in verse 50. So this time the word friend is not philos, as it was in the previous passage. Here, friend is the Greek word hetairus, which you don't have to remember because it really doesn't matter. But all I'm trying to say is it's different than the word friend that Jesus used before. 
This word refers to someone who poses as a friend, but really they have their own interests in mind. The word friend here means imposter. That's a very different meaning than the first version of the word friend that we saw. You know, I find it very sobering, very interesting to see how plainly Jesus recognizes exactly who Judas is. He's a fake friend. Judas was posing as his friend, but his heart wasn't for Jesus. Judas was all about himself. We learn here that Jesus knows exactly who his true friends are. He knows people's motives. And this makes me wonder, you know, Judas saw an opportunity to gain something for himself by betraying Jesus. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that Judas for handing Jesus over into this mob of people to be arrested, Judas received 30 pieces of silver. So Judas had a price. This friendship was not that valuable to him. It only was 30 pieces of silver. So the question that I have for myself and for us this morning is this. If we, if we see what Judas did in using this friendship with Jesus for his own advantage, could that ever happen to us? Do we ever use Jesus to gain something for ourselves? And I thought about this a bunch this week. And I think if if we're honest with ourselves, I think we will find that sometimes we use Jesus to our own advantage in some way. I, I tried to think of a few examples. So some of these may resonate, some of them might not. But these are ones that I could see in my own life. So maybe you can see them in your life too. <clears throat> Do we ever work Jesus into a conversation hoping to make people think a certain way about us, hoping to impress them or to gain their approval somehow. It's like, oh, oh, this is one of those Jesus people. Okay, now I think differently about them. If that's our motive to simply get people's approval, then we actually don't care about the friendship with Jesus nearly as much as we care about impressing others. Do we ever use our reputation as a Christian to, to get some sort of advantage or discount, or leverage in certain situations. Some people may trust us quicker because we're a Christian. And really, if, our, if the motives of our heart are to gain their trust so we can get something from them that we want, have we used that friendship with Jesus simply for ourselves, or have we used it for the glory of God? I don't know. These are just questions I'm asking. Do we ever use Jesus to justify our actions to others by saying, well... God told me to do this when really it's our own desires. Uh, you know, it's, it's a fine line to hear God's voice and to obey him. It's a fine line between that and saying, well, this is what I want. And I think Jesus agrees with me. So I'm just going to say that Jesus told me to do this. You see what I'm saying? We've got to be careful with those. Do we ever give ourselves permission to sin? Because, well, Jesus will forgive me. He always does. So who cares what I do? That's a scary place to be. And you know, if we think about it in the big picture, when we think about it in salvation terms, do we ever use Jesus to just get out of hell and to avoid punishment and bad stuff instead of actually entering into a friendship with Jesus because we see how wonderful he is and out of a heart of love for him rather than a desire to just avoid punishment, we respond to him saying, Jesus, I love you. I love what you've done for me. I want to offer you friendship. I think there's a difference there. I I don't want us, you know, I don't want us to just stay at a place where we believe in Jesus to get out of hell, but where we actually believe in Jesus and have a friendship with him because we love him. 
in the way that he loved us. These things don't seem like things that a friend of Jesus does, but more like something that an imposter does. If we're honest with ourselves, like I'm not, I'm not coming down on anybody. I'm not trying to hammer us, but let's just be honest. We can all have our hearts manipulated to a point where we use the friendship that we have with Jesus simply for ourselves rather than truly being a friend for him. And Jesus sees right through that kind of stuff. He knows that it's phony. He knows that it's disingenuous. So he calls us back to true friendship rather than just using him because we need him. So we've heard an encouragement this morning about how Jesus is the friend of sinners. No matter how beat down or rotten we've become in our lives, Jesus still loves us and he extends friendship towards us. I love that part for sure. That's a good thing, right? That puts a smile on my face. And then we also have heard this warning where Jesus knows the difference between authentic friendship and fake friendship. That causes me to pause. It causes me to think and wonder and say, hmm, I better take a look at my life. I have one more passage about friendship with Jesus for us to look at this morning. It's an interesting one. There's three verses in a row where Jesus uses the word friend. So let's take a look at John 15, verse 13 to 15. We'll just take, it, take these one verse at a time. So starting with verse 13. Jesus says this, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So is there any greater love than love that compels a person to willingly die so that someone else doesn't have to? There's, there's no degree of love, there's no sacrifice of love that is greater than that. I think we can agree on that, right? Or we should agree on it because it's the greatest love ever. So just nod with me. Everyone just nod. Yeah, this is the greatest love, friends. If you're not convinced, you've got to read this for yourself a little bit more this, this afternoon. You know, in movies and books and sometimes even in reality, maybe on the news, we hear about someone who does something that we would consider heroic, right? They give up their life so that someone else can live. Maybe it's someone stepping in front of a bullet to save someone they love in a movie or something like that. Maybe it's someone pushing someone out from in front of a bus and then they themselves get nailed by that bus, but they save the life of the person who is in danger. Maybe it's even someone who serves as police or military for their community or country and they end up losing their lives on the job. People like this heroically laid down their life for sure, but the significance and the power of their sacrifice pales in comparison still to Jesus laying down his life. Jesus didn't just die for one person. He didn't just step in front of a bullet to save one person, right? Jesus didn't die on the cross at Calvary just to save his 12 disciples because these were the guys that stuck with him for three years. Jesus didn't just die even to save the entire country or the nation of Israel. And Jesus didn't die just for the people who were alive at the time to hear about Jesus. Jesus died for every single person that has ever breathed air into their lungs. Every member of the human race, past, present, and future. That's who Jesus died for. Can you think of anyone else who could make a sacrifice that would even come close, would even compare in any way, shape, or form to the magnitude of the sacrifice of Jesus? No, not a chance, right? Not a chance. Jesus died for all of us. Everyone that you've ever laid eyes on, Jesus has died for that person. In 1 John 2 verse 2, it says, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. 
Hebrews 2.9 says, yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. So the, the, the size of the sacrifice is confirmed over and over and over again through Scripture. We can't miss how amazing and huge and grandiose this is. So let me point out two things that we're hearing so far, okay? Number one, John 15.3 is talking about Jesus laying down his life, and he says that he is laying his life down for his friends. But then in these other two passages, John, 1 John 2 verse 2 and Hebrews 2 verse 9, it says that he died for everyone. So he says he died for his friends, and it also says he died for everyone. So then the question where my simple mind goes, does that make everyone Jesus' friend? Because if two passages are saying things, maybe they agree with each other, maybe they don't. We just got to figure this out, right? I don't want to glaze over this kind of stuff. So here's a couple other verses to think about too that I hope will muddy the waters even more. But these are things that are worth considering. So 1 John 4 verse 10 says, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Okay, so we're talking about friendship today. Would you agree with me that friends love each other? Okay, yeah, let's, let's agree together. Do friends love each other? Yes, absolutely, right? Okay. I think some of my friends from Manitoba, or I think about some of my friends from Manitoba that I haven't seen for a long time. I think of Donovan, Armand, Kevin, Tegan, Jay, and Brett, and we are friends because I love them and they love me. I know it. But 1 John 4 verse 10 just said that Jesus sacrificed his life for us and we didn't even love him at the time. So this is interesting. Plus, Romans 5 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die what and when while we were still sinners okay so a sinner is someone who is in conflict with Jesus someone who is rebelling against Jesus and his will that's not really friendship material if you ask me if I had a friend if my friend Brett from Canada if we got in a fight because he said Jeff I hate that you're following Jesus you're so full of whatever you know and I don't want to have anything to do with you Do we still have a friendship if he is totally saying, I want nothing to do with you? I would say no. I would say, I still love him as a friend, but clearly he does not love me in the same way. So are we actually friends? I don't think so. Because friendship is mutual. You can be a friend to someone, but to have someone be your friend, they have to reciprocate in the way that you're loving them, right? So let's weigh a few facts against each other from these verses that we've just looked up. Out of love. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. The Bible said that Jesus also did this for everyone. The Bible also says that we were anything but his friends. We didn't love him and in fact were sinning against him. So when you compare all these facts, the question that I'm left with is, how can Jesus say that he laid down his life for his friends? That doesn't make sense to me. I think the answer is this though. Here's where this makes sense. Jesus' love for people, all people, compelled him to be willing to die for us. This act was him extending the offer of friendship to us. Jesus didn't die because you and I were behaving like his friends. Jesus died for us because he wanted desperately for us to become his friends. Do you see what I'm saying? Isn't it amazing that this one-sided friendship 
took Jesus all the way to a place where he was willing to give his life for people who didn't want anything to do with him. That's friendship. It's unconditional friendship, right? And that's an amazing thing that we need to understand. So Jesus loves you and he wants you so much that he was willing to die in order to make it possible for you to be friends with him. Not just him being friends for you, but you actually entering into a true and authentic friendship with him. So verse 13, where it says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is a description of the offer of friendship that Jesus makes to you and me. So now what happens next? We, we, I think we got that verse. We understand it. It's an extension or it's an offer of friendship. What happens next? Verse 14 says, you are my friends. Okay, not I am your friend, but you are my friends if you do what I command. Okay. So this, this idea of a command here is a word, or it's a word that feels a little heavy to us at times, right? A command can sometimes feel like a burden. So I just want to talk about this for a moment here. But I want to show you that what Jesus commands of us so that we can meet the conditions of friendship that he sets out, it's not a burden at all. Think about what Jesus did for us, right? He showed his intention to be our friends through giving his life for us. Imagine if that was the requirement that he put on us to indicate our friendship to him. That'd be impossible for us to meet because Jesus rose back to life. I'm not going to rise back to life just by saying, all right, Jesus, I'm willing to die to become your friend. And I die and then that's it. I can't live as his friend if I'm dead, right? So instead of making an impossible requirement of us, Jesus actually, in his grace, gave us something much simpler. He said, hey, you can't meet the requirements that I needed to make to extend friendship to you. So all I'm asking you to do is do what I command. Some people default to thinking that doing what Jesus commands means doing is like not doing or avoiding all the bad stuff, right? No partying, no getting hammered, no lying, no cheating, no sex with someone you're not married to. All these things, right? We just have to stay clean and live perfect, and then we can be friends with Jesus. And those are things that we should absolutely avoid. That's true. But that's not all. Jesus hasn't only commanded us to avoid negative things, but also to follow his positive commands. The things that Jesus has asked us to do. So let's think this through together for a moment here, people. What are some positive things that Jesus commands us as his followers to do? What do you think? Follow your heart. heart? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's where Jesus lives, right? I want to follow my heart because if that's where Jesus is at, that would make sense. So yeah, following our heart. Great answer. Thank you. Anyone else? Something positive that Jesus asks us to do. Yeah, tell other people about them. Forgive? Mm hmm. I think we got them all. Look at that. There's a lot of good things, right? There's a lot of things that Jesus has asked us to do. Build my kingdom. Give up your life to follow me. Don't turn around or when you've, when you've made a choice to surrender your life to me, right? Don't give up. Continue to persevere. That God has, or Jesus has asked us to do so many wonderful things that are not just avoiding bad stuff, but it's purposefully doing the good stuff that we saw Jesus himself doing in his life. So doing what Jesus commands isn't just avoiding the naughty list, but engaging in the good things that we see Jesus himself doing in his life here on earth. So doing what Jesus commands 
is meant also to be an ongoing activity in our life. This verse doesn't say, you are my friends if you did what I commanded. No, this verse says, if you do what I command. So do means now. It's present tense. It's an action word that is spoken for us to do today. So this verse is telling us that friends of Jesus do what he commands them to do in this present moment, and they continue to do these things faithfully into the future until Jesus comes again. So this isn't talking about perfection, okay? Some of us might hear this and say, well, I can't do that perfectly, Jeff. I don't see the word perfect in this verse, okay? So let's just take a breath. This is talking about us persevering in friendship with God, not just making a flash in the pan decision when we're a kid and say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. And then we go and live like hell. It actually means I believe in Jesus. And because he wants to have a part of my life, I want to be in his life as well. He is my friend. And now I'm going to be his friend and we're going to walk this thing through until we're done. Revelation 14 verse 12 teaches us that doing what Jesus commands is how we learn to be faithful and endure for him right up until the end of our lives. And what does Jesus assure us of if we do what he commands? He assures us that we are his friends. So many people, so many Christians wonder, am I actually saved? Am I living for the Lord? Is this life making sense? Do what Jesus commands and you won't wonder because he offers us assurance. He offers us a promise that is meant to reckon or to continue to help us be reaffirmed that yes, I'm on the right track because I'm doing what Jesus has asked me to do. It's a wonderful thing that God has done for us. So now we see that Jesus extended friendship to us by laying down his life and we respond with friendship in him, to him by obeying his commands. Friendship with Jesus is actually be is actually pretty simple, but it's still totally amazing. The last part of this passage here, verse 15. Jesus now says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me. So Jesus is comparing two relationships here. A slave and a master versus friends. A slave is expected to do what a master says, no questions asked. It doesn't matter if they like each other or not. They're just supposed to listen to what the master says and do it. Whether they hate them or despise them or are angry at them or have ill feelings towards them because they are treated poorly, it doesn't matter. A slave just obeys. That's all they do. But friends are different, aren't they? It says here that friends confide in one another. When there's something going on in your life, exciting, important, or challenging, it's always nice to have someone to talk to, right? It's nice to have a friend to confide in. Jesus says that we are his friends because he has confided in us, which is incredible. He's told us everything that his father, God, has told him. The Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. God confided in Abraham. God told Abraham about his plans to destroy Sodom. Would God tell anybody that sort of information? No. But he would tell someone that he trusts because he knew that Abraham had God's heart in mind. Friends, I want you to know that for sure that that Jesus wants to be your friend. He has invited you to receive his friendship. But I think the big question that we need to ask ourselves today is this. Am I Jesus' friend? Am I willing to do what he has commanded me to do? Not just, you know, avoid saying four-letter words and doing stuff on the weekends that I would never do at church. That's not what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to a positive and purposeful friendship with him. 
Am I willing to do what he commanded? Or am I, am I an imposter who's just using Jesus to get what I want? Can Jesus truly confide in me because I have his interests in mind? Can Jesus trust me? You know, the first step to accepting friendship with God is acknowledging the truth that we've heard this morning. God's purpose for you and for me has always been friendship with him. Right from the very beginning, God's plan was to create a world with people made in his own image so that they could know Jesus, so that they could know him and have a relationship with him, a friendship with him. Which is an amazing thing that God would create us just because he wanted someone to love. It's it's amazing, right? So Jesus did this for us and, and there we were. We were on earth, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, but, but person by person, every single person all throughout history, we've said, oh, friendship with God, yeah, whatever, you know? And we've said, I think that I can get everything that I would possibly want out of a friendship with God. I think I can get that other ways. I don't think I need to be friends with God. It's fine, but that's just not what I'm interested in. And we turn to being our own best friend. We turn to serving our own desires and our own purposes. Go following God's commands. (laughs) I don't know. I'd rather follow what I want to do. And I want to go to the casino. I want to go get loaded with my buddies. I want to go and make as much money as I can and spend as much money as I can because my life is all about me. I don't care about other people, right? And we became friends with ourselves. But the bummer is that when we become friends with ourselves and we ignore friendship with God, Something happens that's called sin. We, we read about sinners where it says that Jesus came to die for sinners. But who are these sinners? That's us. It's people who rejected the offer of friendship with God and chose to live for numero uno. Right? And when we did that, we separated ourselves from God. We cut off friendship with him. And then when we realized what we had done, it was too late. We couldn't retrace our steps. We couldn't get back to where we used to belong because sin separated us from God. And there was nothing we could do about it. So this is why Jesus, he saw the predicament we were in. He says, man, I offered them friendship. They rejected it. I still want friendship with them, even though they don't even want friendship with me. How can I reconcile them? I know. I'm willing to give my life. Because right now, the punishment for them being friends with themselves, for them purposefully walking away from me, is that they're going to be cut off from me eternally. Not only physical death, but spiritual death that will last for all time. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come. I'm going to take this punishment. Because they can't get themselves out of that predicament. I'm going to be a friend to them. Even though they haven't been a friend to me. I'm going to die in their place. So that they can receive my forgiveness. And that they can walk in friendship with me again. If they choose to receive what I'm offering. And the best part about this is that. Everyone who wants to become friends with God can be. Because Jesus extended friendship to everyone. It said that right in the Bible. And if you believe that what Jesus did on the cross is true, if you believe that he forgives you for your sins, if you believe him that he truly does desire friendship with you, and you want to respond with friendship to him, you can be saved from your sins. You will be forgiven, your slate will be washed clean, and you truly can enter once again into a friendship with God that can never be interrupted again. Because forgiveness for sins isn't just temporary until we sin again, but it is permanent and it lasts for all time. Isn't that the greatest news ever? Isn't that the best kind of friendship that we could possibly desire? 
Everyone, I, I would love for you to, to take a moment here with me to close your eyes and give, give one thing, uh, some serious thought here this morning. We've talked about friendship with Jesus. We've seen the incredible offer we made, that he made to us. We see what it means to be an imposter. Maybe we've been living our lives thinking that we were friends with God, but now we're realizing, huh, maybe I'm just in this for myself. And I actually haven't engaged in being a friend for Jesus in the way that he's been a friend for me. Maybe we never have heard this before, and this is all brand new information. No matter where you are in this whole scale, I would invite you right now this morning to commit for the first time or recommit to being a friend to Jesus. To saying, yeah, Jesus, I want to acknowledge what you've done for me, and I want to follow your commands Because this friendship sounds better than anything I've ever had before. For everyone here today, we all have our eyes closed. No one's looking. It's just you and me. If you would like to enter into a friendship with Jesus for the first time in your life, if you want to believe today that he has forgiven you for your sins, set you free from a lifetime of selfishness, and invited you to follow him, if that's what you would like to receive, I would just invite you to put up your hand right now. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, I see those hands. Thank you so much. Jesus is acknowledging you right now. He sees that and he says, you bet. I've been waiting for you your whole life. Jesus says that he loves you and his friendship is good until the day you die. Now he's inviting you to walk with him and be his friend as well. Thank you for putting up your hands. Friends, for those of you who've made that choice right now, we're going to pray together. Oh, Father. It's just so simple, yet still so amazing. You loved us when we were unlovable. We were those tax collectors and sinners. We were those people who had slumped down to the bottom edges of of this world because we chose to ignore friendship with you and just pursue friendship with ourselves. But Jesus, your friendship never failed. You loved us for all time. And now for those who have put their trust in you, They've put up their hand indicating that they want friendship with you. Father God, I pray that they would remember each and every day that Jesus' friendship never fails. And that he invites them to walk faithfully. To to learn about him, to do what he commands, and to live a life that makes sense from this day forward. Please give them hope and confidence as they make this new decision a part of their life each and every day. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would protect them from anything that would lie to them and say that that wasn't real. The decision that they made today, Jesus, was absolutely 100% real, and no one can take that away from them. Jesus, you can protect their hearts, so we invite you to do that. And Father, for all of us who've been walking with you for years, but we need to get back on the friendship track with you, I ask, Jesus, that you would remind us that we are not invited to live as imposters and just accept something cheap, but we are invited to live for you all the days of our life. Amen.